0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and have a seat. How are you? Are you doing good? It's Yeah, it is good. You know, it's always interesting, the crowd that comes, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, because many of us have not been to work in several days. And we have been with family, and that means for some of us, the RPMs have slowed way down. And we've eaten way too much comfort food, and that means the RPMs are way down. It's always a mellow crowd that comes on this particular Sunday. And uh, I just want you to know, it is the last Sunday of 2014. Are you up for that? Yes, indeed. So we are going to finish How? strong and we are going to get ready for the new year now in the new year we're going to start a brand new sermon series and i just saw the teaser along with you and that is that uh, if there was one question that you could ask yourself and you could get the right answer to it and it would eliminate most of the stress in your life would you ask the question what's the answer would you ask it good i'm glad one guy will Would you ask that question if you knew it would, the answer would take away most of the stress in your life? Of course you would. So we're going to start that next week. This week, we're going to finish up the series called Jesus Is. And I'm going to give you, there are hundreds of reasons why it would be a great idea for you to follow Jesus. This morning, I'm going to give you one that I consider to be one of the top reasons why you would want to follow Jesus. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to say, especially to those of you who are visiting us for the very first time today, maybe you came to one of our rocking Christmas services and you came back to see, well, is Sunday anything like Tuesday or Wednesday, right? Okay. So I want to say a welcome to you. I hope that you have a wonderful experience today. My name is Ron. I'm on the pastoral staff of New Life, and uh, it was actually my privilege to start this church 16 years ago, and so every time I have a chance to speak, I love the opportunity to teach and preach from God's Word. And over the next uh, 30 minutes or so, we're going to learn some really valuable lessons. But I want to say to all of you who are brand new, welcome. I want to introduce you to a couple of tools that we use at New Life every Sunday. You'll find them in your program. The first is this card. Uh, we believe it's a very important thing for you to connect with God. We believe that uh, as, a, as a church, our job is to help you make that connection and to do that in the nicest, kindest, friendliest sort of manner. And so this is what we commonly call our connect card. Uh, we begin each service or the teaching part of each service by asking all of us to put our name and email address at the bottom because on the back side of the card... There are places for you to ask our staff to pray about something going on in your life, to ask information, request information about something going on in our church, and even a chance to sign up for things. At the very bottom, there are are three options down there for things that you could actually sign up to participate in, and I'll talk to you about one of those in a little bit. So for right now, put your name on that, your email address, set it aside. We'll collect it at the end of our church service. And then the second tool is a thing that we call Teaching Notes, New Life Notes, and that will guide you through what I'm going to teach you about over the next couple, well, the next 30 minutes or so. So, why would you choose to follow Jesus? Well, over the last several weeks in this Jesus Is series, we've been exploring some reasons why you would want to follow Jesus uh, last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus gives us an all-access pass to God. Wow. No one else can say to us, in my name and as you follow me, I will give you direct access to the, to the Heavenly Father who created every, everything that you can see or touch. I'm going to give you direct access to Him. We talked about the week before that, that Jesus empowers the underdog. And if you feel like life is sort of coming at you thick and fast, well, you sure want to get on board with Jesus because he's the one who empowers you and actually stands up and takes your place and stands alongside of you and can walk you through that season in your life. We talked about the fact that Jesus enables you to dream and that as you walk with Christ He will take those dreams and they eventually become reality in your life. And we talked about the fact that Jesus is a humble king and how that that combination had never been even thought of before in history and what a difference it makes that Christ would be humble and that God would be humble and it was part of his nature. So why else would you follow Christ? Well, if I could just be blunt and say it, here it is, because he's the greatest world changer ever. Is there anything in your world that you would like to see changed? Of course there is, right? Well, why wouldn't you get on board with the greatest world changer ever? One of my favorite poems, it's written in free verse, and it was written almost a hundred years ago, but one of my favorite poems about Jesus just lays out the improbabilities of his life apart from the fact that he was God in the flesh. Here it is. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another, even more obscure village, where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book, he never held an office, he never went to college, he never even visited a big city. In fact, he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credential but himself. When he was only 33, his friends deserted him. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of seven trials, was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing the only property he had on this earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, all put together, have not affected the life of mankind on this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. That's Jesus. How did he do that? How did he change the world? Well, We're going to explore that today. But here's some things that you need to know, a little bit of the backstory of Jesus. The world in which Jesus was born was a world plagued with problems. I know when you turn on the news or when you you get your news via the internet or you pick up a paper if you're old school and you read the news, I know that you have the thought from time to time, can it get any worse than this? Well, guess what? The world into which Jesus was born, slavery was the norm. It's estimated that the world into which Jesus was born, one-third of the human race was in slavery. Can you imagine that? The world into which Jesus was born, in that world, minorities had almost no human rights. For instance... If you were a foreigner and you were not a Roman citizen, you were not even entitled to a trial before you were judged and condemned. And you could even be executed without a trial. If you were a minority, you had no rights. If you were a woman, you had virtually no rights. You could be bought and sold. You were not allowed to testify in court. You certainly couldn't vote you had almost no rights. If you were a child, you had almost no rights. In fact, you know how few rights you had as a child? Routinely, children were sold into slavery to pay their parents' debts. We can't even imagine that. The world into which Jesus was born, his home country, the nation of Israel, had been conquered and subdued by the Greeks um, almost 300 years prior and then it was conquered and subdued by the Romans a hundred years prior. And it had not had its own independence or been able to govern itself for, for 300 years. So it was, a, it was a world in which their, their entire country was, was under the domination of another country. The world into which Jesus came was a tough, tough place. So what was God going to do about that? Well, probably not what you and I would do about that. If we were God and we showed up with all the power of heaven and earth, we would be blowing some things up, right? And we would land on the scene and say, there's a new sheriff in town and things are about to change. But you know, that's not God's way. And we're going to explore today how Christ calls us to be his followers, and how that when we learn the Jesus way and become followers of Christ, how that things change. You know, when you look at that list of things that was wrong in Jesus' world, do you realize everywhere the simple message of Jesus has gone? I'm not talking about where someone has sort of has sort of kidnapped the gospel and put a bunch of human things on top of it and claimed to be a follower of Christ. I'm talking about the simple message of Jesus. Everywhere it's gone, it has brought an end to slavery. It has elevated the rights of women and children and minorities. It has brought freedom to those who were oppressed, It's amazing what the simple message of Jesus will do. And that's what I want to explore today. Because in your marriage, in your home, maybe with your wife or husband, or with your children, or with your in-laws, or maybe at your workplace, with your co-workers, or your boss, or your bosses, or maybe in the community with your neighbors, or in the school where your kids go, or, or your grandkids go, there are things in your world that you would love to see changed, but they're not under your direct control. How can those things change? I want you to know that Jesus brings a wonderful message of hope and change. And if we have faith enough to follow him, There's an amazing thing that takes place. So that's what we're going to explore this morning. And in order to do that, we have to first of all talk about the ways that you and I tend to take control. We have any control issues this morning? Of course we do. These are the four ways that you and I tend to just sort of reach out and try to solve this thing on our own. And by the way, they're illustrated by the four groups of people that dominated the jewish world there were four different groups or sects in the jewish world and and each one of them sort of represents a different way in which we try to control things and so let's start first of all with the pharisees the pharisees were a group that considered themselves above everybody else they considered themselves more righteous than everybody else they were pretty sure they knew the answers and so they tended to criticize and judge other people, and complain, and condemn what other people were doing, and if people would just get on in line and follow them, and follow all these rigorous rules that they had put in place, why, the world would be an excellent place. Hmm. You might have some people like that at work. You might be one of those people at your workplace, all right? Here's, how, here's what Jesus said, To the Pharisees, he said, you crush people with impossible religious demands and then you never even lift a finger to ease the burden. You want control, but when you get control, what do you do to people? You crush them. Jesus also said this. He said to them, you guys go to the Bible to prove that you're right. Because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to believe in me to receive this life. You know, when Jesus started his church, he had in mind a picture of what that church would be like. And unfortunately, there are many churches that are far more like the Pharisees. They have more thou shalt nots than they have anything else And they tend to crush and condemn people. There's so many different arenas in which these truths apply. So that's the first. The second group of people is this group of people. They're the Essenes. And though we don't find them directly referred to in Scripture, they were just as um, active in the Jewish world. But one of the reasons why we don't find them referred to in Scripture is because they're what I call the bubble people. Their idea of, of, of how to solve the problems in their world was we're going to go down here in the desert and we're going to build a community in the desert where no one will ever want to come unless they're one of us. And we're going to create this holy community that's untainted and unspoiled by any of those heathen people out there and we're just going to be the righteous ones down here in the corner. So that's what they did. And they looked on everyone else with disdain, and their idea was to separate themselves. Do you know anybody like that, who thinks they're better than everyone else, and they just remain aloof and apart from everybody else, and they live in their own little world? You might have people like that at work. I know there are definitely churches like that that just separate and sort of build the fort around them, and they try not to associate with anybody except those who go to their church because they they don't want to be at at all polluted by anybody else. What What does the Bible have to say about that? Well, Jesus saw a huge crowd. Believe me, there were lots of sinners in that crowd. And he had compassion on them Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know what I think Jesus would say to the Essenes? If instead of creating your own little bubble down here in the desert, what would happen if you decided to become shepherds for my people? Wow. So, what did Jesus do? He began to teach them many things he stepped into the role of shepherd and began to shepherd them. What else did he have to say about this? He said, as he prayed for his 12 closest followers and the rest of us by extension, he said, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world. But here's something I want you to get this morning. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them where? Into the world the world, out of the bubble and into the world. Okay? So there was a third group of people. And if you're a type A person and you love taking charge, you might've been part of this group. They were the zealots and they were the people who were combative and their idea was to make a power move and they were going to blow everything up. Have you ever heard anyone say this? We got to do this because anything would be better than the way we have it now. These people love that statement. They're all the time, boy, we're making a power move, we're gonna take over, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make a coup, we we we're gonna change things, we're gonna protest at our work, we're gonna to gather together, we're gonna to make management change some things around here. These are the same people that walk into marriage and try to do the same thing. How do you think that works in marriage? Well, when you go on strike against your husband or your wife, that's not usually a really good idea. Yeah the zealots. was about being combative. And and you and I, we know people that are sort of never at home unless they're at odds with everybody else. And they're always picking a fight. Here's, Here's how Jesus taught them. He said, listen, my kingdom's not an earthly kingdom. It doesn't operate by the principles that normal kingdoms do. He said, if it were, my followers would what? Fight. If you find yourself fighting with people all the time and there's tension and antagonism, you need to check your heart because Jesus clearly said, in my kingdom, we're not fighters. It's not that we roll over. We're going to talk about how we address problems, but we're not fighters. And I'll teach you why in just a minute. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said to Peter, who picked up his sword one day and hacked off a guy's ear when he was aiming at his head, he said, Peter, put away your sword, man. Those who use the sword will what? They're going to die by it. Don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't fight. It's that he chose not to. So what was the Jesus way? Oh, we have one more, by the way. Let's talk about the Sadducees. Okay, The Sadducees were the politically correct group of the day. Their idea was when the Greeks are in power, well, what do the Greeks want? Well, let's broker a deal with the Greeks so that we who are Jews can get in places of power and we can forge this wonderful partnership between a pagan Greek... uh, uh, ruler and our own religion and then when the greeks lost out to the romans well no problem let's broker a deal with the romans and they were the politically correct people of the day and they would compromise anything in order to be accepted and in power and there are people like that it's sort of a piece at any price and we'll do whatever we have to do, even if it means fudging on the truth. Now, listen, Jesus didn't come to do any of that stuff. There is a Jesus way, and that's what I really want to explore with us this morning. And and the Jesus way, well, let me read to you this passage about the, the Sadducees. Jesus said to his 12 closest followers, watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I'm sorry, but the guys that were following Jesus just didn't get it. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. And Jesus sort of held it together and said, why can't you understand I'm not talking about bread? So I'm saying to you again, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he used the picture of yeast because yeast is something... That's small and tiny, and it does not seem powerful, but when you introduce it into... By the way, yesterday I made some fantastic... <laughs> I made some fantastic cinnamon rolls, <laughs> all right? And I put a little yeast in there, and you should have seen what happened to that dough, because that's what yeast does. Now, Jesus said, look, you've got to beware of that stuff. Why? Then they understood he wasn't speaking about yeast and bread, but about the deceptive teaching. Wow. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were actually very good at that. So, how did Jesus do it? Write these words down. Jesus made a friendly invasion. Not a hostile takeover. Not a power move. He didn't sit and judge and condemn and sit in his corner and complain. He didn't form a little bubble society over here and say, all you holy and righteous people, come and live in my bubble. Jesus didn't do any of that stuff. He made a friendly invasion of his world. I was sitting in my hot tub, and thank you, by the way, for the hot tub, those of you. I was sitting in my hot tub the other day, waking up, enjoying the morning and thinking about this message And God said to me, you know, Ron, really, when it comes to changing the world, you can either be a rock or you can be water. On the surface, which appears to be stronger? Certainly the rock. You get hurt more when they throw these at you than when they throw that at you, right? Yeah, true. But you know something? We all know if enough of this lands on this, which wins? The water always wears away the rock. Because in the end, the water is more powerful and stronger than the rock. The ways that you and I take control of situations tend to damage people around us. They're much more like the rock. The way that Jesus handled things is much more like the water. It tends to bless and nourish and refresh and build. So how did Jesus describe how he and his followers would deal with each other and with the world and with the problems in it? He wrapped it up in a simple command. He said, I'm bringing one command to you. In fact, here it is in Jesus' own words. I'm giving you a new command, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other, and your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. For those of you who are Jesus followers, I have a question for you. Do the people in your world instinctively know that you are a Christian because they sense more love and more grace, and more kindness, and more generosity in you than they see in anyone else around them. Is that what you're known for? Got real quiet in here. Did you notice that? <laughs> Listen, there's such a power in that concept. And I'm, this morning I'm going to break out three things for us and they're things that you can memorize. I'm going to ask you to memorize them this week. I'm going to challenge you to live by them this week. They're very simple concepts to understand, but they, but, and they do change a world. I mean, they, they are like water. When you do them consistently and persistently over long periods of time, the world finds them impossible to resist. And in fact, in the end, the world finds them very attractive. But I got to tell you right up front, They are counter to our human nature. They're not natural. Okay? So here they are. Three characteristics of Jesus' people. Number one, love all, not some. That's what they do. You know, when there's something in the world that needs to be changed, when there's something in your home that needs to be changed, when there's something in the workplace that needs to be changed, or the community or wherever else you might be, it's as natural as it can be to love the people who are on your side and agree with you and eh, for those that don't like you and are not with you. Right? Yeah. I had a good friend of mine say one time, I was never tempted to kill someone until I got in church leadership. (laughs) Don't you think about that for a minute. Yeah. You see, it's just so natural for us to create this culture that I call sides. Okay? When you go to work, you know, and there's something going on at work, Everybody wants to know, which side are you on? While everyone else is talking about sides and trying to get people to choose sides, those who are Jesus followers do what Jesus did. The Pharisees want to know, Jesus, are you on our side? Sadducees, are you with us? The, the zealots, are you with us? Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus, and they wanted Jesus to be on their side. And if there's any message that Jesus continually gave, he gave this message I'm not on anybody's side. We don't have to have sides. How about if we all work together as a team? You see, when you love some, you create sides. When you love all, you create a team. It works anywhere. What was it Jesus said? By this, all people will know. that you follow me. If you love one another. Did he put a boundary or limit on that? No. See, the followers of Christ love all. They not only love the people getting hurt, they actually love the people who are hurting them which of those is harder it's far more difficult to love the people who are hurting other people yeah i don't have time to break that out in its fullness i want any of these i want to plant them as seed thoughts this week and we'll work on developing them more throughout the year but number one love all not some the second characteristic of a Jesus person is they attack problems, not people. Now, that's harder to do than it might seem. Because when you get into a problem, usually there's a person associated with that problem. Have you noticed that? And here's the deal. When we tend to view people and problems together and we confuse the people with the problems then it gives us a predisposition toward looking for blame. Who done it? Who's responsible? And somehow we think when we have found the person who is responsible and we know who to blame, we have solved the problem. Hello? The problem is still there. But when we start working on problems, now this presumes that we've already pulled together the team and are working to unify the team, now we go in search of what is the actual problem. And as we look beyond the people and we look to the problem, we find out something. There's an amazing thing that happens. Number one, it's far easier to solve problems than it is to change people. Have you noticed and number two, when you solve problems, it's amazing how people change. I want you to chew on that for a minute. In his entire ministry, problem after problem surfaced. And you know what Jesus never did? He's the problem. She's the problem. They brought sinner. After sinner, after sinner to Jesus. And without fail, Jesus addressed their sin, not the fact that they were a sinner. Yeah. Jesus' people work on problems, not people. And that makes them solution oriented not blame-focused. Would our world be a better place if we did that? What do you think? Hugely better. Are you ready for number three? Here it is. Okay? Number three. Jesus' people speak up and not down. A pastor said to me one day, he said, Ron, this is when I was quite young, he said, Ron, you'll have far more success in life when you talk up what you believe in instead of talking down what you don't believe in. I want you to think about that, whether it's in your marriage, or with your children, or with your in-laws, or in the community, or in the workplace. If you will speak up about what you believe in and refrain from speaking down about what you don't like, you will have a lot more listeners and you will make a lot more progress. But there's another way in which Jesus' people speak up. You see, it's very natural, especially in the workplace. Well, I guess it's natural in marriage, too. But in the workplace, it's very natural when something's happening in the company. For instance, that ogre of a boss made us go back to work the day after Christmas. Who came up with that kind of a policy? Right? It's really easy to stand around the water cooler or go to the break room and talk bad about the boss. That ever happen where you work? Nah, right? It does all the time. I know it does. Okay? If you want to solve a problem, you will not solve it in the break room or around the water cooler. I can tell you that for sure. If you want to solve a problem, then in your nicest Kindest way, go to the person above you and make a suggestion. Work on a solution and speak up, not down. If you want to solve a problem in your marriage, you cannot do it by telling everybody what an idiot you married. You would never use those words. After all, that would make you look bad because you picked them out. (laughs) Right? So you would never use those words, but the truth is, you can sort of say that without saying that. If you want to solve a problem in your marriage, or if you want to solve a problem with your children, or if you want to solve a problem with your in-laws, don't speak down. About them, speak up to them. Will that automatically solve every problem immediately? What do you think? No, you got to be water, not the rock. The rock wants to solve it now. You're either going to change or I'll kill you. That's how the rock works. Okay? You change, we're going to blow things up. Okay? The water says, no, I'm willing to make a little progress today, a little progress tomorrow. And it is consistently over time. That's how that works. Now, here's where we memorize. Are you ready? I know you can memorize these three, and I want them to be in your head all week long. So every time you're confronted with a problem, you know what goes off in your mind? Here they are. Let's read them out loud. Ready? Love all, not some, attack peep problems, not people. Sorry. Speak up and not down. For my sake, we need to read those again. Ready? (laughs) Love all, not some. Attack problems, not people. Speak up, not down. So how can we apply this specifically? I suspect that those of us who have made the decision to become Christians, I suspect that the one of those that we might struggle with most is speaking up and not down because it requires the most courage and the most love and the most kindness so on the back of your connect card there are two ways to apply this and the first is if you if if you're willing to commit to this week i'm going to work in every setting of my life to speaking up and i'm going to refrain from speaking down i will speak up i will lovingly talk about the truth I'm not going to hide a problem. I'm not going to live in denial. I will approach the problem and I will go to the right person to approach the problem and I'll do it in kindness and in love. I'll do it the Jesus way. I'll make a friendly invasion, not a hostile takeover. Okay? That's what I'll do. Then I want you to, to check that box and I want you to pray about it every day and I want you to work on it every single day. And then for those of us in the audience who have yet to make the decision to follow Christ, that's where you begin. Because the great thing about Jesus is He doesn't just give you three points to work on in your life. The thing about Jesus is He wants to come into your life and to give you the power to do those three things that we just talked about. If you try to do those on your own, you will have a little success, maybe. But if you invite Christ into your life, He gives you the power to follow those day after day after day in His strength, not your own. And on top of that, He says to you, and I will make sure that the God who created the heavens and the earth forgives you of your sins and prepares for you eternal life. Friends, that's, it. that's the best deal you will ever get in your entire lifetime. The greatest world changer in the history of mankind says, hey, let me in and see what I can do in your world. If you're ready to make that decision, also on the back of the Connect card, there's a place for you to check. I'm, I'm making that first-time decision to follow Christ. Please make sure you check that because I want to pray with you this week. I want to get some resources into your hands so you get started on that journey uh, in in a good way. Uh, and, And if you check the other one, I want to pray with you about that too for everyone else. I just want to pray for those that I know are going to be working this week on speaking up and not down. Let me pray you make your decisions. Father, thank you so much that you came to show us how to live life in ways that we're not throwing rocks at each other, but that we're actually able to offer each other this wonderful gift of life, this, the water where we become refreshing to those around us and not harmful and hurtful. And you've showed us how to make this wonderful, friendly invasion. And God, my prayer for our church is that we would be a church that makes this friendly invasion of its community, that wherever we go, We would take the love of Christ with us and that people would just notice there's something different about us, not that we're better or superior, not at all, but that we have been changed as only you can change us. And God, would you give us grace to speak up this week and not down and not out, but to speak up. And God, I pray right now for any of us in our audience this morning that are on the outside looking in when it comes to being a follower of Christ, that you would help us this morning to step on the inside and to choose to follow Christ for hundreds of reasons, but most specifically this morning, that we would choose to follow Christ because he has the answers to changing the things in our world that really should be changed. Father, we bless you. We thank you. Give us grace to follow you this week. I pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.